0: it's easy for for an employee to expect the company to deliver the next step. And certainly the company has a responsibility to play. Um, But I I like this concept of like, we're on a road trip and you as the employee, you're in the driver's seat and I'm your co-pilot, like I'm right there with you. I have a map, I have a few options, like, hey, maybe we go here or here, you can take this route or that route, but like you're driving, I'm not driving. um, And it should always be that dynamic. You know, again, I think that just puts the right mindset around your development.
1: Hi, I'm Ted Blosser, CEO and co-founder of Workram, where we're redefining the corporate learning space with the world's first all-in-one learning cloud for employee and customer learning. Welcome to the Learn Podcast, where we learn from the biggest leaders in SaaS and hear what makes them successful. Hope you enjoy the show. Everyone, we're so excited to have on our guest, Marta Pinilla, the Chief People Officer Airtable, on with us today. Welcome to the show, Marta.
0: Thank you, Ted. It's great to reconnect.
1: For some background, Marta and I actually go way back. We actually met at Box back in 2011. I believe you were in recruiting coordination at that time. So today we're going to do a really uh, uh, fun journey mapping. We're actually going to go through Marta's uh, career journey. She's had some really interesting experiences at Box, and then she migrated over to Airtable. And so one of the best careers I've seen from recruiting into now the CPO role at Airtable. Before we jump into that, um, Marta, can you tell us a little about your current role? Tell us a little more about Airtable. I think most people know it, but just in case they don't, tell us about the role and Airtable as a company.
0: Absolutely. Um, so starting with Airtable, um, our product empowers any team, regardless of their technical skill, to design applications that power critical workflows and that make their valuable data useful to them and, and the day to day. And of course, you know, this shows up in a myriad of different ways, um, depending on the company, depending on the team. Um, but one fun example is um, Equinox, you know, the, the global gym club. Um, Pretty much all of the digital content that members interact with on the mobile app is powered by Airtable, um, and they built their entire production pipeline on Airtable. Um, And, you know, they're able to publish content about 400 percent faster than they were before. So it's just one example. Right. But um, overall, we have about 450,000 organizations that use Airtable, including 80 percent of the Fortune 100. Um, And. That's product, and so far as the organization goes, uh, we're a little bit under one thousand employees. Um, we just celebrated our tenth birthday, I guess you could say, in February. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, we're a hybrid environment, so we we do have remote folks um, and have offices in the Bay Area, Austin, London, LA, and New York. Um, yeah.
1: So you're saying Airtable can keep you more fit if you work at. Uh-
0: I I think work so. out at Equinox,
1: so. so it can do yeah. everything, which is it great. Can do,
0: it can do it all.
1: <laughs> I need maybe introduce Equinox into my workout. I mean, uh, Airtable into my workout routine will keep me more fit. Totally. Let's um, let's start off with your career at Box. You know, when, when we yeah. met at 2011, you started as a recruiter, individual contributor, recruiter. Tell us yep. about those years. What did you learn? How were they? Yeah, tell us about those early years.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure you remember those years at Box. Uh, It was a period of hyper growth. Uh, I joined when the company was around 200 people. When I left uh, seven years later, it was about 2000. So um, lots of stories um, from that period. But in those early years, um, it was particularly high growth. You know, we went from 200 to 700 in, in a couple of years. And I was one of two people on a team that did all recruiting for essentially non sales roles and non engineering roles. So that's everything else, design, product, post sales, GNA. And it was bonkers. You know, we had, um, 50 roles open at any time per recruiter, um, 14 phone screens a day talking to candidates. And I think on a surface level, it taught me a lot about the value of hard work and, time management and, you know, kind of seeing the fruits of your labor. Um, but I think on a deeper level, the the takeaway that I had that continues to serve me to this day is um, in a startup environment or really any high growth environment, there's going to be 20 things on fire or more, probably, probably more, um, and you will not get to all of them. Right. It was not perfect. Things fell through the cracks, but it taught me how to figure out what the top three to five fires were and like what really moved the needle. Um, and that kind of like deep editorialization and ruthless prioritization, um, just became part of, of my DNA. Thanks to, thanks to that experience. Now would I want to do that again? Probably, probably not. It was a time and a place for that kind of craziness, but, um, it was really valuable and I learned a lot.
1: That's awesome. When you think back to those early years, was there skill you developed? Like, was it the sales skills? Was it the time management skill? What, what was like the number one skill you felt like you developed in the early days?
0: Yeah. Um, I would highlight a couple. I think one around prioritization. Again, okay. this kind of daily, weekly, monthly uh, reflection on like at the end of the day, what do I need to say I've accomplished? Um, what is truly moving the needle for the business? And, and how do I know that? And knowing from the get go how I'm going to measure success, um, so I think that is is probably number one, and again continues to serve me to this day. Um, I think the second was around uh, business partnership, which is somewhat inherent in the role of recruiting, or you know other internal facing roles where your customer is, you know the 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 leader, right, that you're working with. But I think it's a it's valuable in any role, right? Uh, you know, especially because I was working such a diverse set of hiring managers or, or leaders, you know, what a controller cares about is really different than what a head of uh, customer success cares about. And so learning how to ask the right questions, um, really understanding what what it was they cared about, what kept them up at night, being curious about that, um, I think lended itself well for my my role today, even, right, in terms of building yeah. strong relationships with stakeholders.
1: Well, you, well, you did the individual contributor role for a little over three years, mm-hmm. um, and you learn Like, I bet you how many how many you did you close in those? Oh gosh, three and a half years. Would you say? Um,
0: probably, probably like, like fifty hundred. You no, know, like a hundred and fifty or hundred and fifty. That's 150. crazy. Think of
1: all those years. careers you affected. That's that's so awesome. Wow. Well, um, yeah. but you but you basically go from IC into leadership. Yeah, and you start moving up the leadership ranks. Um mm-hmm. over those years, like your the remainder part of I think is about four years left at box when yeah. you when you got promoted. And so how is that, how would you say that jump was for you? Like did you get a mentor? Yeah. Um, did, was it was a tough? And then walk us through any big learnings. Yeah. Uh jumping into basically your first, I think is your first leadership role um in yeah. your career. So walk walk us through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I had the gift of a a mentor and manager that I think gave me all all the fundamentals and and um I think with managing humans, it is first and foremost an apprenticeship in that you know um yes you can read read all the books um and while that is important, um having individuals that can be good sounding boards along the way and that you can run practical examples by and you know, have that thought partnership is really valuable. So I think for me, I had somebody at work that was that person for me. And, and that was, was huge. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the job was was tough. And uh, it was tough because I uh, moved from full cycle recruiting, which is where you're, um, you know, talking to candidates, uh, giving offers, etc., cetera, to managing a recruiting coordination team, which Um, coordination is where is the is a role in which folks schedule interviews so it's it's a process oriented position it's less client facing and um, not only that the way that it was structured at box this was a team that um, was sort of a stepping stone into full cycle recruiting you started as a coordinator and then you moved on and so a lot of the folks that we hired um, had their sights on becoming full cycle recruiters as quickly as possible they were right ambitious And they were doing roles that at times were tedious and repetitive. And so it really forced me to focus on strong management fundamentals because I didn't have the headwind of an interesting role. Uh, well, I should say of a role that they were interested in in the long run. Right. Yep. They were feeling, And so it forced, um, a lot of coaching, a lot of career development conversations. Um, setting expectations effectively around time and role. And, and that was, that was hard, uh, but useful. Um, I, I would say though, you know, I, I then moved on from that to managing, um, increasingly large full cycle teams there. And, um, I think a few of my takeaways in terms of, you know, um, guiding principles, I, I guess I would say are one, it might seem obvious, but I think at the end of the day, everyone wants to feel seen. At work yep. and understood, and again, it seems like management one-on-one. But I think it's so often missed, and especially in a hyper-growth environment where it's go-go-go, simply asking questions, being curious, um, not only for the person to feel seen, but also for you to know what's going on in their world, and to be able to translate that upward is is so important.
1: Let me let me double click into. The time you're managing coordinators, and I yeah. think it's really relevant for this market, especially heads of people, is that there's this perception that, hey, because the market's not growing as fast as it used to, yeah. that there's there's basically career stagnation. Mm-hmm. Do you, and I could see that even back in the heyday where it's like, can't yeah. probably recruit someone after two months of coordination. I don't know what the cycle was. I'm guessing yeah. probably over nine to 12 months or something back then. But like, how how do you, Battle through that perception um, with employees. Do you have any tips and tricks, even even yeah. fast forwarding to today's role or yeah. back then that you learned?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's um, it's like a, a multi layered cake, I guess. In that, I think there's a there's a systems and expectation setting layer and then there's the kind of the day-to-day coaching and connecting the dots to opportunities layer and i think both are important on the first one around kind of what you the the system side um i think creating rich career frameworks is so valuable and i know it can oftentimes be dismissed as like hr speak and there are certainly some career rubrics that that are Lots of fluff words and and not that useful, but, you know, having a leadership team spend time really thinking about, like, what are, uh, what's the um, scope of impact and um, uh, expected outcomes in this role? And what are the, the competencies that we want to see developed that go beyond checking a box? That was one of the challenges we ran into at the beginning of the box days is we had our initial rubrics were like, very much like you, very binary. Have you done this, or have you not done this? And that's not the point of a career, right? Um most skills, most competencies are a spectrum, and you, you know, communication as a competency. I'm still working on my communication just as I was ten years ago. What I'm working on is different, but that richness um should be captured and and the frameworks that are applied, and those frameworks should be socialized early, you know, when somebody joins throughout their tenure and there should be career plans around that. So I think from a systemic standpoint like that, that is a, a, important to do. Um, I think from a like one-on-one coaching and career development standpoint, um, there's so much power in the person knowing that you care and you asking about their career development goals. I think often managers are scared to have the conversation because they don't know and they don't have an answer and they don't know when the promotion opportunity is going to be. And I think what's missed in that is that oftentimes, like, not talking about it makes the person think that there's something wrong. You know, they, they can assume the worst. It's a black box. If they know you care and you're asking them regularly and you're having conversations, even if there's ambiguity, as long as you make that implicit ambiguity ex- explicit, right, then you're on the journey together. Um. And then the last thing I would add, um, I have a very silly and well, silly, uh, cheesy analogy I use all the time around career development, um, that I think is the right visual, which is, I think at times, um, it's easy for, for an employee to expect the company to deliver the next step. Yep. And certainly the company has a responsibility to play, um, But I I like this concept of like, we're on a road trip and you as the employee, you're in the driver's seat and I'm your co-pilot. Like, I'm right there with you. I have a map. I have a few options like, hey, maybe we go here or here. You can take this route or that route. But like you're driving. I'm not driving. um, And it should always be that dynamic. Um, And, you know, again, I think that just puts the right mindset around career development.
1: That's a great analogy. We might, we might use that internally is that, <laughs> hey, you, you, you're right. You are in the driver's seat of your career. We might be in the passenger seat or back seat giving you tips on where to go. Right. But, um, at the end of the day, like, hey, we're not going to be your employer forever, but during this portion of the road trip, um, we're going to make sure you have the right opportunities to grow. So, um, that's awesome that you, you had that experience, um, learning it at, at box first. Everyone, want to take a quick second and talk about the Workramp Learning Cloud? We're on right now with Marta from Airtable. She's a Chief People Officer there. Airtable is a customer of Workramp. They use Workramp's Learning Cloud to enable their employees, empower them to upskill, and also educate their partners as well. So, if you want to learn more about how Airtable success being successful with Workramp, check us out at workramp.com and get in touch. And we're happy to share more. Now, back to the show. Okay. Let's, let's transition from box. So, so you do this really good run. I feel like you're one of the few people in the Valley that, that has these nice long runs um, <laughs> at companies and and this Airtable run is going to be a great one too. Uh, but you do seven and a half years, I believe yeah at box. Enough. Then you transition, you, you were like icon of box, but then you <laughs> transition over Airtable, tell us about the yeah. why of that transition first, and then how that transition went. Because because again, that's not easy to leave a place where you probably knew. Again, you said you recruited over 150 people personally, and probably indirectly, probably th- over a thousand, I bet, or something like that. <laughs> but how was that? How was that transition over to Airtable?
0: Yeah, yeah, and and look, I mean, clearly I'm biased because I have spent. A, a long time at some places. But I think, you know, that's one of the beauties of joining a high growth company is, you know, if you were to ask me like, well, I often get the question like so long. Why? It's like I felt like I had a different job every 12 months, even if my title was the same and the scope was the same. Um, the challenges I had were different. And I think this goes back to what you were asking about earlier around, like, uh, how, how do we think about career progression and, and an environment that is changing? And I think it still comes back to, like, finding the richness and evolving challenges. Um, but with, with Box, I, I knew it, it's funny. I, I knew it was time um, when I felt sort of this inner peace of, okay, I've done, I've done something I'm really proud of. And I feel like I'm graduating. I didn't feel like I was leaving a job. It felt like this kind of a, like educational journey I had been on. Um, I had a successor in mind. A lot of this, like kind of core systems and uh, process that we had been really pushing to build for kind of scalable recruiting in the long run were built. And I, it just that uh, it felt, it felt peaceful. Um, I didn't feel like I was running away. I just felt really proud and ready to move on. I took seven months off. And I um, traveled, I went to Europe for two months, I did a six week road trip with my now husband, we didn't kill each other. So that tells me something. Um, And I met Airtable through uh, um, uh, actually uh, through a box connection. Uh, I wasn't looking and um, I ended up doing consulting for Airtable and this is how they get you cuz I was asked to develop the the recruiting plan for the next 12 months and once I did I was like, well, I want to do this. So, can I can I do this and um yeah, the rest is is history.
1: That's awesome. Okay, I want to break down Airtable maybe into two parts. Yeah. Um I love to get best practices from a recruiting perspective. Um and you were doing a lot of it during the hyperscale time as well too. And so, love to hear about that and then the other part will shift into of the people aspect of things, sure. what you've yep. learned so far too. That's a little bit of the newer role for you. Yep. But give us your top learnings. Let's start with recruiting. Give us your top learnings on the recruiting side because now you were basically running the show versus kind of coming up through through the ranks at box. But what did you learn and still yep. um, anything additional you'd like to share about that that initial time or, or the recruiting time uh, at uh, Airtable?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I kind of don't remember the first seven months, it was so crazy, but that aside, I learned so much and it was a really powerful time. Um, just to set the stage, uh, the company was around 80 people when I joined, there was one recruiting coordinator and, um, no internal recruiting team. So it was a definitely like a build the plane while you're flying the plane with no mechanics on the plane situation. Um, and
1: just, just handing out offer, offer letters. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's so, so Uh but no, I mean, also with a really thoughtful hiring bar, which is you know why why I joined. Um, but we we had the the charter of going from about eighty to two hundred and some within twelve months. Um, wow. To give you a sense, we went from we ended up going from about eighty to around nine hundred in three years. So wow. it was it was quite. Quite the journey. And I think what stands out in terms of what helped us be successful, one was um, taking a dose of our own recruiting medicine, hiring very well on the recruiting front. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of incredible recruiters out there, but specifically I was looking for recruiting talent that had done hypergrowth before mm. and understood how it you know the the ambiguity the shifting priorities um and the agility required to get through the period we were going through right um and
1: did you did you over do you recommend in, in those cuz we will have a market again eventually right do you yep. recommend overstaffing <laughs> in those hypergrowth years or were you still understaffed most of the time, like when you came in and just you're probably like, yeah, on? totally. yeah, one it's, coordinator, how's, it, how's this even working? Uh, yeah. What do you recommend in those hyper growth times from a staffing perspective? Assuming you get great talent.
0: Totally. Um, yeah, Ooh. there's no like silver bullet answer. What I would say is we looked at a combination of full-time resourcing and flex resourcing where we did apply flex resourcing we use rpo so it's a recruiting process outsourcing is what that stands for it was essentially folks who would embed themselves in our team um, and you know essentially act as as recruiters or sourcers um and we would have them for you know months at a time and doing so helped us maintain Our bar around candidate experience, hiring manager experience, while having flexibility of hey, in twelve months we decide we're gonna, you know, take take a step back. Um, Now we we didn't right, but um, I think you know being super mindful around flex versus full time, and we every three to six months I kind of check like, okay, is this the right balance? Is it not? And I tended to be a little bit more conservative where needed. I do think at the end of the day in hyper growth. as a recruiting leader, you're there to help hire, and you know you're. I think probably better to be a little over than under, yeah. right? Um, in terms of the ultimate goal. Of okay. Hiring. So yeah,
1: t- great people. Anything else besides great recruiters? And and you know, what? a lot of people don't even give that answer as the first thing they say. Oh, it's all about culture or just have yeah. a high bar. But I love how you started with actually. Hey, the Entryway has to be uh, has 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 to have some of the best talent, and then that can can spur more talent from there, or they can recognize talent, right? Um, yeah. Anything yeah. else, major on the recruiting yeah. side?
0: Yeah. So um, I think we made some early investments in in having a robust tech tech stack on on the people side, especially on the recruiting side, and the right operational team to make it happen. So. As an example of this, we um, we use Greenhouse for our applicant tracking system. We spent a lot of time making sure it was correctly configured, which, you know, again, uh, seems basic, but I think, um, I know at, at Box anyway, we uh, didn't spend enough time doing some of that early on and, and that just later on creates those scaling challenges. So I think um, investing in that before you think you need it, like you need to start doing it six months before you think you need to start doing it at least, Um, So I think that really helped. And then from a a people team uh, standpoint, um, and you hinted at this with, you know, when we were talking about recruiters sort of being the gateway, I think at the end of the day, the people function is an extension of the CEOs and the leadership teams point of view on talent and staying super close in terms of like, what are the top priorities? Um, What's keeping them up at night? So I think for me building that strong relationship with with our CEO and our leadership team was was critical.
1: Okay, let's shift gears for the last 5 minutes or so yeah. in your new role as CPO and again congrats on on the new role. Tell us about mm-hmm. how that's going. Any key learnings or or things you're starting to implement that you're excited about.
0: Yeah. Um it is such a, a privilege. I've, I'm in, enjoying the role uh, tremendously. I think for a number of reasons. One, I'm getting to still work with um, the people leadership team that I work with. A lot of them have been at Airtable for, for two to four years, um, right there with me. So that continuity is, is amazing. Uh, the multidisciplinary nature of, of our world is also so engaging. You go from designing compensation strategy one minute to learning about an employee relations issue that is has yet to be seen and next you know trying to close a candidate so that that is fascinating um i the 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 weight of the importance of this function in this era is not lost on me right i, I wouldn't say that we're in unprecedented times because we've seen highs and lows in economic cycles before but that combined with the emergence of hybrid work three years of i guess post pandemic i don't know if we should call it post pandemic yet right but this this new way of working combined with an economic lull after so many years of a bull run um it's a lot for for human beings to process and handle and so the you know i think the weight of thinking about employee well-being uh company success and and all of this i yeah take that very seriously um, in terms of something I'm really excited about, I know you might be hearing this from everyone right now, but um, AI and how AI can enable HR professionals. Um, so on on our end, we um uh we're currently betaing um, Airtable AI. And I'm seeing the team just organically take it up. So uh, as an example, one of our team members used Airtable AI to basically create the first draft of a career framework that took it took twenty minutes. It's mind blowing. It would have taken him probably six to eight weeks to like wow. write all the content and ensure it was consistent vocabulary across each level. It took twenty minutes for a first draft. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Sounds so like a
1: blog blog post coming soon here.
0: It, it totally, totally. And so seeing that the and we're gonna do actually we're doing an AI use case challenge on on the people oh, team. That's cool. Um, you know, and I think that's important to me, right? I think there's so much we don't know about what the future holds with AI, but what I do know is everybody on the team needs to be empowered and understand how to leverage AI to be as effective as possible. So I'm excited to see them take up that mantle.
1: And is there a, is there a cultural rhythm or let's call, uh, uh, Something you do on the people side that you think is pretty unique that our audience can maybe learn from that Airtable does. I'd love to see if there's any interesting tidbits there.
0: Yeah, um, a couple of that I might highlight. One, um, starting during the pandemic, we did institute quarterly recharge days, which I know that is not that unique. A lot of companies did something that helped you know employees unplug. Um, what we did alongside that though is you know, because recharge days made a shorter week, we found initially that people were trying to fit five days of work into four, which then ends up not being useful, right? So we made those weeks focus weeks, which mean we mostly remove standing meetings, meetings that help move the needle forward, find, keep them, But the idea is it's all about focus that week, right? To avoid that five days and four thing. Um, so that is one thing that's been well-received and, and really useful. Um, Another thing that, you know, is, is maybe al- applicable in a hybrid world, uh, we have um, uh, we don't have any strict mandates around attendance in office. But what that means is that um, it can be easy for critical mass to not hit any given day when folks are coming in. And that has been challenging. So on the people team, we've instituted monthly in-person days and we plan them out four to six months ahead of time. So folks know and they can come in then and And that's um, org
1: wide you you suggest org wide hey if you're coming in come on these days
0: uh for the people function
1: oh people function okay got it got it at a local level okay
0: yeah and and each function sort of um has their own their own norms and expectations okay
1: um i love that i've I've heard recharge days before but i haven't heard you're right actually doesn't really serve its purpose when people are working harder the next four days but Um, I love the concept of the focus week coupled with recharge. I bet you those are really productive weeks for you all. So, all right, Marta, we're, we're in the, in the home stretch here. I'm going to go into what we call the learn rapid fire round. Uh, this is, this is always really fun. What I'm going to do is just ask you a couple questions here. Give me a one or two line answer for each, just so we can see what's going on, uh, uh, from a learning perspective with you. So the first thing I'll, I'll, or first question I'll ask you is, who have you learned the most from in life?
0: I think I'm going to have to say uh, my, my husband, who you know um, from Box Days. I learned uh, a lot
1: from him too. I might even <laughs> quote him.
0: <laughs> Having worked together, um, we just turned to each other for a lot of thought partnership and yeah, learn a lot from him.
1: Well, I will attest; He's a very thoughtful person. So great <laughs> answer. Okay, next one. What is one, let's say, podcast, book, blog? you've learned the most yeah. from or that you're just super passionate about right now?
0: I love listening to Fresh Air on NPR because I think the way Terry Gross asks questions is a thing of beauty. And if I could do just one more, um, I would say Business breaks, business Breakdowns. It's a podcast and they cover all sorts of different types of business. And it just helps me get out of the tech bubble that, that I'm hey. in.
1: I can't believe you like that. That's a Colossus group, right? I think. Yeah. Oh, I love that podcast. I, th- <laughs> I think you and I are maybe the, their biggest listeners probably. Awesome. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it is very interesting though. Great, mm. great yeah. podcasts. All right. Last one here. What is one topic you want to learn more about in the future? Imagine you're taking that seven month trip again between Box <laughs> and Airtable. You can learn about anything you wanted to learn about. What would that be?
0: It's a little bit of a cheat because I'm already deep in this in this learning hole, but I've been really into glucose monitoring and glucose hacks recently. So it's wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Um, One tip, if you all, if you're interested, is if you have one tablespoon of vinegar before a meal, it will reduce your glucose spike by about 30%.
1: You do that before every meal?
0: Um, I do it once a day. Before every meal, it's just, it's a little too much vinegar, you know? (laughs) So before like my starchiest meal, I'll, I'll have okay. a table. Wait,
1: so dinner. you like just literally drink a tablespoon and just start eating or you take a little pause because I'm going to try <laughs> That's a this. That's
0: good question. Yeah. Um, ideally 10 minutes before, but as long as it's within about an hour and a half of the meal, okay. you're you're good. Also, um, you can mix it up with stuff. So you could do actually like a cinnamon apple cider vinegar tea. It's really delicious. Um, if you're interested, Glucose Goddess on Instagram she is a biochemist. That um, is where I've learned a lot of this from, and she has a ton of fun recipes. I recommend checking her out.
1: All right, listeners, we're all going to do our vinegar <laughs> tonight with our with our dinners. So, Marta, thanks so much for Thank jumping you. on with us. This is a great uh, session. I'm sure the audience will learn a ton from you. And uh, thanks for being a guest today.
0: Thank you.